Please be seated. One of my very earliest memories of uh, interacting directly with my dad was when I had a question for him because it seemed to me that he never had any fun. Now, I was six years old, so all I ever did was have fun. Uh, I, and, but it baffled me that here's this guy who has so much power. He had a car and money. And he never seemed to do anything with it for himself. He seemed to work an awful lot. Even when he would stop and have fun, he'd come and like play toys with me or we'd go to the park or something like that. Even there, at age six, I was still reasonably aware this wasn't what dad would necessarily choose to be doing for himself. He, he, he was playing with those toys for my sake. He was playing basketball with me and letting me win, and I knew he was letting me win. Uh, he was playing basketball with me for my sake. So one day, I finally, he was working in his office, and I, I just sort of said, Dad, you know, what, what is it that you actually want? What, is, what would be fun for you? What is it that you want for yourself instead of for all of the rest of us? And Dad kind of leaned back a little bit, and he said, well, you know, um, Actually, it's kind of a dream of mine that one day we'd have a cabin or a house up in the mountains. We could go there and ski right on out the front door and, and just have this nice place to get away. Three years ago, Dad bought a house in Lake Tahoe, and I was so happy. The, the dream finally came true for Dad. I couldn't think of anybody more worthy uh, of receiving that house. Now, one of the things that he does in order to uh, help uh, pay for it is uh, we rent it out when nobody's there, which is most of the time. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a holiday house for us, and it's expensive uh, uh, for people to be there, but when I choose to go, I don't have to pay the fee, right? It's expensive, but I'm just allowed to go into the house because it's my dad's house, and that kind of makes it my house. I imagine that most of you think of your parents' houses as your house as well. I go for free. Now, when I go to dad's house and walk in, I always kind of start by doing this check of the property because other people have been staying there. And other people, you may have noticed, are just horrible. No, no, I'm sorry, just, it's, that's a joke. Right. Uh, uh, other people, though, aren't going to treat my dad's house with the same kind of love and respect that I'm going to treat my dad's house. And so there's always kind of this tour to see What's broken? What's missing? Is there anything that I can do to set these things right? And I'll spend some time trying to fix up some of the things uh, that went wrong. And people find really creative ways to make things. Somebody brought a ski machine into the, into the, the house in Tahoe. You can literally ski out the front door. And they brought a fake machine to do it for, I, I'm, uh, anyway. So it took some, it takes some effort, it takes some time, but it's important to me. That's dad's house and I want it to be in good order. I want you to bear these things in mind as we look at our text today, the, the relationship that we have with our own parents' houses. Now, just as a little bit of context before we jump in, uh, Jesus here is on the last walk to the cross. He has days left before he is going to be the sacrifice that pays for the sins of the world. And we jump in here when he arrives at the temple in Jerusalem. We're reading today from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew, 
We'll start reading at verse 12. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is kind of one of the more interesting, unusual interactions in the Bible. Because here we see Jesus get aggressive. It's not too often that we've seen Jesus be physically aggressive in any way. He's had sharp words for people in the past. He's called Pharisees dens of vipers and so forth. He's hurt people's feelings. But he's flipping tables. He made a whip and drove people out. I don't actually, I don't imagine that he was like beating people with the whip. There's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that he was doing like, I think he was like snapping, shoo, shoo, right? Uh, getting everybody uh, out of this place. But it's so unusual and uncharacteristic. It's behavior that we wouldn't typically associate with uh, Jesus. And we've always kind of wrestled a little bit. Why is he behaving this way? Well, bring back to the front of your mind and take very literally the thing that Jesus says here, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. This is God's home on earth. This is Jesus' dad's home. And that makes it his home too. In fact, when we bring that to the front of our minds, it explains a lot of the unusual interactions that people have difficulty understanding with uh, concerning Jesus' life. We think back to uh, when he was 12 and his folks are visiting Jerusalem for the festival. They say, okay, Jesus, time to go home. They leave and head for Nazareth and he goes to his house. He goes to his dad's house. And when he gets there, he sets about doing his dad's work, preaching and teaching and showing charity and showing kindness and providing just the same way that we might go to our houses and do chores. Jesus sets about his father's work. He says so when they finally come to pick him up. He went to his father's home. He went to his home. When Jesus, another weird uh, text later on, uh, some uh, individuals in charge of the temple come up to Peter and say, uh, hey, don't forget to pay your temple taxes. You owe a temple tax for, uh, uh, for services there. Peter says, oh, yeah, yeah. And Jesus reacts like this is a very odd thing. He, he goes and has Peter catch a fish to, to pay the temple tax. Uh, there was a coin in the fish's mouth. Very strange text. But it makes a little more sense when we think about the fact that this is Jesus' house. Can you imagine going to your home and there's a ticket booth out in front of the thing and they charge you two bucks to go into your own house? It's a strange thing. Jesus does it just to avoid, uh, pay, uh, just to avoid uh, uh, causing any sort of offense. And now we have Jesus arriving at his house, arriving at his father's house. And what does he see? It's full of people. Consider what these people are actually doing here, right? The temple's always full of people. But what are they actually doing? For years, the function of the temple had involved laying sins on animals. 
sacrificing those animals as a stand-in for the coming Messiah and establishing thereby a connection with God. Jesus is now here, and he is about to, at tremendous personal cost, the blood of God win eternal salvation. He is walking into that temple as its final, ultimate sacrifice. And the result of that sacrifice is going to be to grant free access to God for all human beings forever. He walks into his house, and what does he see taking place there? People are selling access to God. He has been engaged in his father's work, and a mighty work it is. He walks into his house, and he sees people actively undercutting the work that he has been working to do, selling access to God, putting extra barriers up between uh, the people and between God. Well, to walk in there and see a bunch of thieves doing this thing, he reacts the same way most of us would react if we came home and saw thieves poking about our stuff. We would try to get rid of them. If we had the, uh, if we had the whip, we'd snap it at them. We'd get them out of there, and we're just talking about stuff. This is access to God that he's protecting. Sometimes that bit about them being thieves can, can hang people up a little bit. I remember when I was a kid, I, I heard a teacher of mine say, oh, they must have been charging like really exorbitant interest rates or something like that. But that's not actually, that's not what they're stealing here, right? The thing that they're taking is access to God. Jesus is providing it for free from himself at huge cost. They are interrupting that. The word actually that gets used here uh, for thief is the kind of thief that just does their thievery in broad daylight. Maybe they're like hyper-aggressive uh, uh, muggers or something like that, beat somebody up and take their stuff. But the kind of thief who doesn't hide what they're doing, they just do it. They're not the sneaky uh, kind of thieves. And so when we see that, these brazen thieves in his house damaging the work that his father sent him to do? Jesus' reaction makes total 100% uh, sense. It's not too long after this that Rome comes in the 70s, 70s, 80, not 1970s, and flattens the temple. They siege Jerusalem in revenge for uh, an attempted coup on the parts of the Israelites. They absolutely level the temple. If you go to Israel today, you see that whale. Sometimes it's called the Wailing Wall. Do not call it the Wailing Wall if you go to Israel or when you go to Israel. They do not appreciate that, right? It's not actually a wall of the old temple. It's one of the te old temple's foundations that, they're, uh, that they are praying at, right? Uh, that's all that's left of the thing, our big foundations. On the day of Pentecost, God decided to rebuild that temple in a different way. Instead of building it as a building, that temple was rebuilt inside of us. Paul writes, don't you know that you 
are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God chose a new home after that temple was destroyed. His new home was inside of you. Now, obviously, this is a tremendous comfort. But let's start by thinking about it in the reverse way. How often are we responsible for taking God's home and turning it into a den of thieves, making it a place that's inviting distractions for ourselves and for others, being distractions for others, robbing ourselves and others of their, of their access and connection to God because of our own selfish behaviors, because of the things that we want are taking precedence over the work that God wants to come out of those temples. The perception that others have about God is the one that they see coming out of his temples. Like the temples of old, or we should be places where good works flow, where forgiveness is obvious, where a connection to God shines through, and every failure to love, every failure to forgive, every failure to empathize, every failure to recognize our own faults but see them in others, steals from the grace that should be shining out from our lives, from ourselves, from the place that God chose to live on earth, from his temples. We see an intensity from Jesus here for the work that he's doing. And that makes obvious and perfect sense. He is at death's doorstep. And that death is going to be a painful, horrifying one. He walks in. Those animals don't belong there anymore. Jesus is the sacrifice. And he's a massive sacrifice that will cover everything. Where once we were transferring our sins onto animals, now every sin that has ever been committed is going to be piled onto the one sacrifice, God himself, and he would pay for all of it. Everything that distracted from this, every animal that, uh, that was now completely unnecessary, Jesus cleansed from the temple so that there would be one focus, him on the cross, him carrying our weight there, him leaving it there, paid for when he died. The same ferocity that Jesus employed when he defended the temple of old, he still employs now in defending his new temple, his new home. Jesus' love for you is intense and ferocious and protective. Even as we try to destroy ourselves with sin, he remains in us. He accomplishes his work in us and with us, even despite our best efforts. It's enormously comforting to reflect on the fact that while distractions and thieves and sins all fight for a toehold inside of our hearts, Jesus stands there in his home, driving them back, aggressively attacking the things that would break our connection to our Father.
we share God's home because Christ's sacrifice gave us the inheritance of sons. His interaction with the temple here makes so much more sense when we consider uh, that, uh, what it was to him as his home. But it actually makes even more sense than that when we consider that we are his new temples and the depth of love that he held for us that ultimately took him to the cross. Amen. Lord God, in love, you sent your Son to destroy the barriers that separated us from you. Be with us in love, that our relationship with you would always shine out. Be with us in strength, to drive away the evils that distract from and attack that relationship with you. Be with us in grace, as your Son, the sacrifice, carries our failures to the cross, where they are removed forever. In his holy name we pray. Amen.
As we return to our homes for the ending of Holy Week, receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.